You guys can find your seats. Find them and then sit in them. <laughs> if you want. <laughs> that was just for you. <laughs> well, welcome to Prayer Sunday. Instead of talking about prayer in a broad way, we decided to zoom in and share some examples of people in our own community and how their prayer life is. So here's some quick introductions. I made them write their own bios because I would have gushed on about them for like 15 minutes <laughs> and use up all their time. Um, where is it? <laughs> there it is. Okay, so this is Nicole Waugh. She's been part of REN for three and a half years. She co-leads the youth with her husband, Chris, and she's 37 weeks pregnant. <laughs> and this is David. He's been at REN for about two years now, and he became a, rem- a member right about the time the lockdown started and we stopped meeting. <laughs> and this is Anna. She's a senior at Brown and has been going to REN for three years. And this is Michael Hoyle. He's an elder who, employ- who enjoys playing soccer, <laughs> has a wife and three kids. <laughs> All right, so my first question for Nicole is, what does your prayer time typically look like? I'm acting like she didn't give these to us ahead of time, so <laughs> I've actually had a chance to prepare. But I'm just buying time because I'm still a little breathless from walking up here pregnant. Um, So I just want to say before I say kind of what my prayer life looks like now, I think it's important to remember that like it's just a snapshot and that your prayer life changes over time as you walk with the Lord and are in different seasons of um, just relational closeness. I mean, it's the same as when you walk in relationship with a friend or a spouse. It just changes over time. And I would say, like, in my early 20s, for example, there was a lot of, like, zeal and muscling through distractions, praying through um, long scriptures to try to get my mind focused and um, be present. And that was an awesome season. I learned so much in that time, and I think there's certain things that God builds in you during that. Um, Discipline or steadfastness or perseverance. But right now, it's not, I, that's not my season. It's, I'm often very unfocused. And um, a big thing for me is just to get in the chair in the morning. And like the victory is getting in the chair. And uh, I would say it, prayer times are a lot more of listening instead of talking to God and um, just being with him. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, what, you know, what you said about prayer, your prayer life changing over time, um, I think that's a really good point. I, uh, you know, I, I, nowadays my, my prayers, I usually spend like an hour, hour and a half um, in the morning uh, reading and praying, um, doing daily devotions. Um, it's kind of interesting, though, that, you know, a couple of years ago, my prayer life was on the rocks pretty hard, and uh, I really wasn't praying very much at all. I didn't know how to pray at the time. And then a few years before that, my prayer life was a lot stronger. And, I, um, you know, so like it, do, it does change. Um, and we learn and grow as we go through that. 
Um, you know, I, I think nowadays my, um, I think, and like you said, um, I think consistency is something that's really important to me as well. Um, or just, you know, just showing up. Um, I, I try to spend a lot of time in prayer, but often, you know, that, there are a lot of days where I spend, you know, first half hour of my prayer time telling God how much I want to go back to bed. <laughs> um, so um, I'm pretty slow in the morning. I, my prayers can be pretty jumbled, and uh, they don't always get there. But, um, you know, still, I think, I think there's a lot of value in, in that consistency of just showing up every day. Um, putting it in um yeah i think along those lines when my prayer time is at its best it's like a a consistent quiet time in the morning like reading a chapter of the bible and meditating on it seeing what sticks out to me um lately i've been struggling to make that time so um what i've been trying to do is kind of connect with God in small ways, but consistently throughout my day. So um, anytime that I, whether it's like the middle of a work day or I'm in the middle of something, if I, um, if it comes to mind, I'll just take a couple minutes to, to pray about something, um, whether it's to thank God for something that happened or um, something that he's put on my heart. It's also a really um, good thing to do for prayer requests because sometimes they can get kind of lost in the jumble where you write them down, you pray about them once, and then you kind of forget about them. Um, so I've been trying to do any time I, I think of someone or I think of something or I think of a prayer request that someone brought up to just pray for it in that moment instead of waiting um, to do it at a prescribed time. Time. Um, and that's what's been helping me connect with God lately. <laughs> when David said hour, an hour and a half, he said it earlier too. I just think I, that's not me. I, I have a hard time spending an hour, an hour and a half. Um, but I mean, like, I think what Nicole said too, everybody's different. Well, I'm just going to read you what, I, what I'd written down for this answer. When I spend time with dad alone, it is usually at night after my children have gone to bed. First, I try to spend time thanking him for things. Quite often, I find this to be difficult, but I force myself through it by convincing myself that he is good and that he is the ultimate reason for the goodness in my life. Um, Typically, I have worries on my mind or things that have angered me or bothered me recently that I bring before him. At some point during that process, I realize that I need to be hearing what dad has to say to me. So I'll try to clear my mind and ask him to speak to me. I'm not always successful at this, but I always try because um, listening to him is really my favorite part of prayer. Uh, why, when did you start calling him dad? <laughs> why not? <laughs> I don't know when it was. Um, it, I think I was at some point I was just praying and trying to listen to him and actually they, there was a I sometimes I wonder you know there's there's the trinity there's the father the son and the holy spirit and like who am I talking to when I pray like I really I don't know and um it, it was during that time period and I still don't know I mean sometimes I'll just say holy spirit or dad or Jesus and that, but I mostly I find myself saying dad and it's only because he told me to call him dad and uh nicole asked me earlier is it has that changed you at all like referring to him as dad and i was like no not really i was like i'm just doing it because he told me to out of obedience 
And, um, and she was like, well, it's, you know, it's probably a process. And I was like, well, it's been a long process because I've been doing it for a while, but I started thinking about it and I think she's right. It's, is a, is a process to everything. And I'm hoping that maybe I will feel more of a connection to him at some point just by referring to him as that. And maybe I have, and I haven't even realized it. It's, yeah, it's probably a true. point to that. So good. Thanks guys. Um, how has prayer changed you? Hopefully a lot over time, <laughs> but for the sake of time, I would say um, the biggest one that I would want to share with you guys is learning forgiveness. Uh, I would say like probably one of my biggest issues or fatal flaws is dealing with kind of resentment, and you think you get over it, but no, I have not arrived. I have not attained. <laughs> I must press on. But um, yeah, learning forgiveness, and I think you know it started early on in my 20s in my walk with God and like learning big time forgiveness, like dealing with your father wound type of forgiveness. Um, But now it's in everyday life, just it can be a small thing, it can be a big thing. But um, I'd say more than anything else, learning to receive grace for myself and give it to the people around me has been the biggest way that... um, just spending time with God has changed me. Like realizing how much you need him and need forgiveness and need his grace. His empowerment, you know, to live the life that he's calling us to live. I guess I'm talking more about mercy than grace, but I digress. <laughs> yeah, well, I, um, I don't know, kind of responding to Mike, I'm 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 not an hour hour and a half prayer <laughs> prayer time either <laughs> type of person either, but uh, I'm there. Uh, you know, I mean, like I said, my 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 prayers prayer time is often very unpolished. I'm just kind of sitting there going, oh, uh, I'm just can't go back. Want to go back to sleep? <laughs> uh, but you know, I th- I think especially lately, d- doing that has um has really been teaching me about you know just God's kindness and um and patience and and um his care for us that you know even even though i'm i'm you know i feel like kind of a train wreck in the mornings and um you know i'm just babbling incoherently at him and i can't all my thoughts are coming out half-baked i can't focus i'm easily distracted you know i mean it's just it's a mess but you know god's okay with that um and you know he's he he likes me being there, um, no matter how little of my brain is awake at that point. Um, you know that he listens to me, and um, he knows what to do with me. He knows what matters to me, and what I'm worried about, what I care about. Um, you know, and and even you know as, as the scriptures tell us, like he even. Um, uh, you know, he even enjoys uh, enjoys being what, with us and, and spending time with us and desires to spend time with us. Um, I'm not sure why. Because <laughs> I wouldn't want to spend time with me at that <laughs> when I'm like that. But, you know, <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> yeah, um, I think similar to what Nicole was saying um, there's definitely like a um, a process of learning forgiveness, and um, God has definitely through prayer helped me 
forgive people who I, I never thought I would be able to and deal with a lot of resentment. Um, but uh, one big thing I think that has been happening a lot recently, I'm going into my senior year of college, so there's a lot of thought about what happens afterwards and the future and where I'm going to end up. Um, and I think that through consistent prayer, God um, has really been able to instill just this sense of peace that um, is a gift that I'm still trying to fully be able to grasp. Uh, but just kind of the idea that uh, we have this incredible assurance that no matter what happens and no matter where we end up, that we'll be okay and that we can trust that God has our best intentions in mind. Um, and that even if things don't work out according to plan, that they're going to work out according to his plan. And that's so much better than ours. Um, so I think that that is something I'm still trying to come to terms with and um, fully be able to rest in. But um, that's something that God has kind of been putting on my heart lately. So my answer to this question is um, learning that prayer is a two-way conversation with God changed my life completely when I was in my early 20s. I grew up believing in God and trying to follow him, but looking back now, it seems like I was missing something then. Knowing that dad wants to talk to me and the reality of a relationship with him made me a new person. It may even have been the point where I actually became a Christian. I don't really know. But having a genuine relationship with anyone requires two-way communication. So once that started um, with dad in my life, I was, I was a new person. Amen. Amen. So last question, how do you hear from God? And if you want, share a time when you did. Okay, I kind of want to roll something I forgot to say in the last question into answering this one, if I can. So just the thing about hearing from God and kind of piggybacking on what Mike said about uh, learning that, like kind of what prayer is, that it's that two-way conversation. And it's not just me asking God for things like he's this big Santa Claus in the sky, but like learning, you know, like how Jesus taught us to pray. Like he gave us this example and starts with thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and learning to not just pray from like earth to heaven, like, like an orphan child, like begging him to, you know, give me what I like for a little scrap of bread, but learning that we're seated in heavenly places with him and we can pray from heaven to earth and bring his will and his kingdom and like pray in agreement with what he wants for any for our lives, for any given circumstance, that's been really huge. And that's a huge part of listening in prayer, right? Because we're not just like trying to convince him to do what we want, but we're hearing what he wants and learning how to walk that out in our daily lives. And sometimes I think about like the story in the Old Testament of Elijah and the and the false prophets on Mount Carmel and how all these false prophets were like doing all these religious things, you know, cutting themselves and going through these religious activities to try to get their God to do what they wanted. But that's like not... God, if you can just like manipulate him like that, you know, God is God. And he, and I think part of being in prayer is recognizing he's God and we're here to worship him and to serve him and to like be about our father's business. So kind of a side note, but anyways, how do you hear from God? I mean, you're spending time with him, right? And that's kind of like the point of what a lot of us are are kind of walking through. And there's so many people in this church and like, I just admire and being in relationship with so many of you and seeing how so many of you have walked with God for a long time and you can just see the intimacy that like pours out of you in interaction with you. But um, all that to say, like, how do you hear from God? How do you know that it's God that you're hearing in your prayer time? Like, 
you know, it's not always like he manifests and writes on the wall like he did with like Belteshazzar or Daniel or whatever. Like a lot of times it's just a thought or an impression or a scripture becomes alive to you. And it's, it can be such a subjective experience, which can get dangerous. So, you know, having walking in community, uh, sharing your, your relationship with God is personal, not private, right? Like it's personal, but you walk it out in community and you, um, if you have an idea about how to walk forward in something, you know, talking through it with spiritual counsel, making sure that it aligns with the word of God. Like he's not going to ask you to do something that goes against his word or his nature as he reveals it in his word. So um, I just wanted to share that. Can I, I don't know if I'm going too long. It's okay. And then like an example of a time hearing from God, I could share with you guys like times when I've prayed for specific things and he has answered that prayer, whether it's been, Uh, financial provision or knowing a direction to move forward in life. But I just want to share something that happens more often, which is I come to God with this thing that feels so big and feels like a place where I'm stuck or overwhelmed and I need an answer to know how to move forward. And God always shows up, but he doesn't always say walk down this path, he says, I'm here. And that is always the answer I needed, to know that the God who created the universe, the God who is a creator, sustainer, redeemer, you know, just our, our savior, like he's everything, that he sees me and he's with me, and I'm not walking through this alone. And I may not necessarily know like the five-year plan or the 10-year plan or even like the next step but he's with me and like that's always enough that's always been enough in those times you know so just thought that was valuable um yeah so i think um you know for me hearing um from god um and seeking him i i feel like there's a lot of value um you know i think it helps us to discern what he's saying when we look and listen for him in um, in a lot of through a lot of different avenues. Uh, my mom once told me that um, you know I, 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 there was there was one day I was I was, um, was years ago when I um, I'd been working through a um, a, a daily devotional um, by A. W. Tozer, and um, you know I read my devotional that morning, and later on in the afternoon I was listening to the radio, and somebody. Uh, the the radio person read the exact same uh, uh, selection from that from that devotional I've been reading, it was, and it wasn't like a, a a day of the year thing; like it was just random thing. And I was like, "Huh, that's funny." So I go home and I tell my mom about it, and she's like, "No, I think that's God <laughs> when he when he starts repeating himself in different places." It usually means he's trying to t- trying to trying to tell you something. So, um, you know, so I and I've found that valuable. Like um, when you start hearing from him through different avenues, um, you know, I think that means he's trying to get your attention. So, um, you know, as I mentioned before, like praying and reading the Bible daily are both you know two of the most important parts of that. I think, um, and they often go together. Um, you know, like I might be praying about something and God brings to mind a particular verse or passage that's relevant or enlightening to what I'm praying about. Um, 
you know, listening to sermons is important. You know, I think coming to coming to church um, every Sunday and listening to you know Pastor Scott preach um, or wherever you go to church, uh, you know, you, there's a lot of benefit to that. Um, God will speak to you through that. Um, you know, I I think uh, he um, uh, you know he he speaks to us through nature. Um, you know, I've I've he teaches there's a lot to be learned there. Um, I've, I think I've had, uh, you know, I've had dreams where he's spoken to me on a few occasions. Um, you know, God, I think God often speaks to us too through other believers. Um, and, you know, I've found a lot of value over the years getting advice from, you know, believers who I know to be wise and trustworthy. Um, and, you know, kind of more broadly than that, I think one of the best places um, where to find, um, you know him. Him speaking to us, um, he'll speak to us uh, through community. Just as we're uh, living in community, um, you know, kind of like being being in uh, small groups that we have here. It's one of the best examples. And if you're not in one, you can join one today. <laughs> um, <laughs> I um, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> the, you know, I also read a lot. Um, and, you know, the writings of, God speaks to me a lot through the writings of Christian thinkers like uh, C.S. Lewis or maybe Tim Keller. Um, you know, I, we all, there are a lot of them out there. Um, I, I uh, you know, when I started uh, taking my faith seriously, uh, I, I was reading some stuff by Francis Schaeffer, and that was really instrumental in, uh, um, in helping me work through some, some issues. Um, that I had at the time, so. Yeah, that's really good. Um, is it on? Huh? Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, when I first started taking my faith uh, seriously, I was about. 12 years old, which meant that spiritual encounters were a thing that usually happened at youth conferences in the middle of a really big worship night, and they were really intense and really emotional, and there was usually crying involved. And um, as I kind of matured in my faith and got older, I realized that that's not always the case, and that sometimes God will kind of have his spirit wash over you in these really intense emotional ways, but a lot of the time it's um, a lot smaller. It's a lot more like a whisper. Um, and I think that one thing that God kind of revealed to me recently is I was I was just desperately trying to um, connect with him. And I think that he's kind of been showing me that even when you are not experiencing these really big emotional encounters, that doesn't mean you're not close with him. Uh, and sometimes there are dry seasons, but you you're still not far away from him in those seasons, even if you feel like you are. And uh, something he was kind of uh, speaking to me as I was trying to connect and kind of reaching out, and it was out of worship night, and I was in my head thinking, you know, like, what do you want me to do? Like, I'll do anything. What do you want me to do? Um, and he was, and he showed me that I'd kind of made the mistake of putting the agency on myself as if I can control when God moves. Um, and he kind of revealed to me that, you know, all you have to do is show up. Like, all I want you to do is just show up with your arms open and keep showing up. Um, and that even when, um, even when it's challenging, even when you feel dry, even when you don't feel like it's, anything's happening, um, all you have to do is show up and God will do the rest. And it's not up to us to make him move. Kind of like Nicole was saying, like, that's, God is God. We don't, um, we don't have any control over that. And that was really comforting to just um, 
be reminded that we can come just as we are and literally all we have to do is keep showing up no matter how we feel and that whole pull me this where we're at I love the just showing up you and David said that a bunch that's like that's so I wrote that down <laughs> in my notes um so dad typically talks to me through my own thoughts. Um, I have thoughts in my head that I know come from him. Discerning these thoughts was difficult when I first started listening to him, but over time I have learned more and more what he sounds like. Believing that he is the one speaking was also difficult at first, but as he continues to confirm what he says, confidence has been built inside me to know that uh, he is the one talking to me. And that kind of goes with what Nicole was talking about a little bit, having... Um, a community of trustworthy believers around you so that um, you know, you learn to know what he sounds like. You, you know, I think this is dad talking to me. You bounce it off some other people and they're like, yeah, that's probably him or nah, that's probably not him. Or, <laughs> but I think that's really important. I think everyone really touched on that a little bit. Um, I just want to share one story about when, um, this is kind of like a big story in my life or a, mm, a big point in my life where I really started believing that dad talked to me. Um, when I first started learning about listening to Dad's voice, I was part of a missions team. The leader of our group asked us to go and spend several hours asking um, Dad to speak to us about everyone else on the team and bring something back to the group to share with each person uh, that Dad had told us during the time we were with him. So I spent most of the time thinking about how I didn't know how to hear him speak to me. Uh, toward the end of that time, though, I started thinking about people from the Bible. So I opened up to their stories. When I did this, uh, one of the team members would pop into my head. So I would write down, all right, this Bible character and then this person. And then uh, as I read through their story, particular parts of the story or characteristics about the Bible character would stand out to me. And I would write those down with the names. Um, And this happened with every team member. Uh, Later, when we came back together to share, Dad, through one way or another, confirmed to me that everything I had written down um, was directly from him. So, and I'll I'll never forget that. It was just one um, one of the first times where I really started believing. All right, you know, Dad talks to me, and I can share that with other people and have confidence in it. Amen. Thank you guys so much for sharing. Um, Yes, I'm going to pray for us since it's Prayer Sunday. And, yeah, you're released. <laughs> Father, we just thank you that, um, that we can come to you in prayer. God, thank you that you're always, you're always available, um, that you're always wanting to hear us, you're always wanting to talk to us. God, I thank you for this, these sweet um, Renaissance members and their prayer lives. God, I just thank you for them sharing. I just thank you for all the things that you've... Um, I just thank you that you're uniquely... You meet us uniquely in, in the way you created us. I thank you that it's not uh, one-size-fits-all, God, but you're personal um, and you love us the way you created us and you speak to us in so many beautiful ways. I just pray that we would be open to hearing you. I just pray, God, that you would help us not put you in a box, um, that we'd be sensitive to your voice, that it would be like walking with you in the cool of the day, like in the garden. It would just, it would just be um, easy and sweet and relational. I thank you that you're always near, you're always present. 
and you love your creation so much, let us come to you that way, just knowing that you, you see us through the blood of Jesus, and you're not disappointed that you love us. We're the beloved. Um, you are our beloved, and we are your, your beloved. It's just um, beautiful. Uh, I thank you for the way that you love us. It's, it's um, powerful, and it's precious. God, I thank you that you're so holy. Um, I thank you that you're the alpha and the omega. You're the beginning and the end. Everything is made through you and for you, and and we get to, to know you um, and to be loved by you. So it's just a beautiful truth um, that we never want to take for granted. God, and we just, yeah, give us the, the desire um, to pray and connect with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Wow, that was so good to just sit and listen to all that wisdom on prayer. I really appreciate you guys doing that. Um, yeah, so just a couple quick things, if I can remember them. One was, oh man, I know there was two things. One is if you need to get um, <clears throat> kind of on the in and just know what's happening in the church, uh, get on the newsletter. That's the main way that we communicate uh, information about upcoming gatherings or small groups or missionary of the month, all these different things. Uh, very easy to do. Just go to the website and or even go to the welcome table in the back there and they'll, I think, set you up right you know, today. Uh, but very simple to do. Uh, just, yeah, get on the newsletter. Um, we send usually about one newsletter a week uh, just to keep people in the know. I don't know what the second thing was. So this is what you get with an almost 54-year-old pastor. That's what you get. And it's going to get worse. It's, you love it. Yeah, no. You're not going to love it. It's like, what's that verse in the Bible somewhere? I know it's in there. It could get ugly. Uh, but yeah, no, thank, thank God my, my mind is still pretty sharp. We're going to look at uh, the book of Proverbs again. We're going to be in this series for a while. Uh, today, we're, I'm titling this, this message, Consider the Ant. Actually, David in, his, in the panel there was saying that sometimes God uh, speaks to us through nature, right? And scripture actually confirms that in many different places. And the book of Proverbs gives us that exhortation consider the ant. So I'm not going to be talking about ants for the next 30 minutes, but uh, we'll start out with that. But we're going to be looking at this idea of laziness versus diligence or hard work. Um, You know, I think sometimes as Protestant believers who put so much emphasis on the gospel and that we're not saved by our works, sometimes we go too far, we swing so far, and we, we get lazy. You know, we, we get uh, sort of lax, slack, uh, because we think, well, you know, we're not saved by works anyways. We might as well just, uh, you know, chill out and, and relax. But Scripture has a lot to say about work. Now, our work is in God. It's in Christ. It's for Christ. 
But God very much has made us to work. By the way, work, uh, this could be new news for some, is not part of like the curse or part of the fall of man. Before the fall happened, before Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says in Genesis that God put man in the garden to what? To work it and to keep it. And this could be sad news for some of you too, but I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to work. Some of you are like, oh man, seriously? We're going to work for eternity? <laughs> eternity? <laughs> Doing you know, tasks? We are created for industry, to make things, to create things, to, uh, to, to work, to use our minds, to use our bodies, and, and to, 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 to do stuff. Um, hopefully, we've learned the joy of working in, in Christ, because it is a joy, and, and the scriptures will bear that out this morning. All right, well, I'm going to get into it. We'll start with this, uh, go to the ant verse. It's in, we're going to go through a bunch of different verses. I won't do all of them, but we'll see how many we can get through in about a half an hour. Uh, There's a lot in the book of Proverbs about this idea of the sluggard or laziness. We're going to learn a lot in the next uh, little, little time, little block of time. So this uh, verse about the ant is found in chapter six. You can try to follow if you want, if you have a Bible or a phone app, Uh, but we'll go through all these verses Uh, The first one here is in uh, chapter 6, verse 6. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Now, sluggard just means somebody who, it's not that they have like a moment of tiredness. It's somebody who is habitually lazy. All right? That's what sluggard really means. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Now, probably we've all, at least as little kids, watched ants, right? I mean, if you grew up in New England, there's a lot of ants. We grew up, I grew up in Western Mass, and our backyard was just woods. I mean, there, we had ants all the time, you know, and you could see them building their little ant hills. I remember our yard had ant hills, but how many have seen an ant carrying something that's like bigger, you know, bigger than them, like some giant crumb, you know, it's like so awesome, but they're just hard workers, right? I think that's the point. Go to the ant and just observe, but also you don't have, you know, you don't have all these little ants and then a big ant in the back saying, you, Get, get moving, you know, keep pushing, keep moving, you know, go, you can do it, you're awesome. Like, they're, they just do it. They, they just have this internal, mysterious motivation that just drives them to just keep building the anthill and keep uh, bringing food home and dragging crumbs from your kitchen, you know, back wherever they're bringing them. They're self-motivated, and that's the point. That's what God is saying to us, you know, through this verse. Find that motivation within you to serve God and to work hard. You know, I've seen this through the years, uh, whether in the workplace, 
um, you know, because I've worked a lot of different jobs, or even with church, the church, church volunteers, church staff. You know, it's, it, it seems like some people just have this internal drive that you don't need to, you know, cheer them on, coach them on. They don't need to be pushed. If you're present, they work hard. If you're not present, they work hard. That's what we need. That's what we need to be like. And then others, I don't know. It's like if, if you don't keep encouraging them and cheering them on, and they just they just gravitate toward uh, idleness and laziness. Because that's an internal problem. Uh, we we want to have that drive within. He adds to it a little bit. He says, a little sleep, a little little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber or a bandit and want like an armed man. And I think what that is meaning there is just kind of a little by little. I, again, it doesn't mean that you know if you, you're working and you take a, your 15-minute break, to, to rest, that that's it. You know, you're just your life is going to fall apart in the next, you know, hour. It's it's not like that. It's it's kind of this constantly giving yourself this permission to slack over and over and over and over again. You know, a little slumber, a little folding hands. Well, I really should do this, but I'm not gonna. You know, it's like a series of hundreds of decisions. And then suddenly we find our place, find ourselves in a place where things are falling apart. The Proverbs will give more light on that as we get deeper into it. Let's look at Proverbs 13, verse 4. It says this, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And then 14.23 says kind of a similar thing. It says, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So what is this saying? It's saying that it's, it's, it's not enough to just have an idea, have a thought, have an inspiration. People are inspired to do all kinds of things all the time, right? I mean, we, we can be inspired to have a prayer life, right, after uh, listening to, to the panel this morning. We can be inspired to whatever, to work hard on the job, or, you know, you might meet somebody who's like an incredible mother, and you're like, oh, I want to be like that. I want to be that kind of mother. I want to be that kind of worker. I want to be somebody who uh, is maybe learning a musical instrument, whatever the the thing is, it's easy to be inspired or even just to talk about things. Mere talk only leads to poverty. But what we need to do is we need to take our inspiration and then roll our sleeves up and get the job done. Right now, if you're like me, you get easily inspired about like all kinds of things. So with me, I need to select the right things because I, there's so many things that you could actually do in life. That's almost like another, another sermon altogether. But my point is when you get inspired about something really 
important. Like, like this morning is a perfect example of prayer. It's not enough to just sit back and be in church and be like, yeah, wow. I want to have a deep prayer life. I want to be intimate with God. I want to know God. Like those are, that's, that's a good starting place. But mere talk or mere inspiration isn't enough. We actually have to get up in the morning. I like uh, how David was describing that. It's like, oh man, I don't really want to get up. But he was like kind of pushing himself to get up. And when the rubber hits the road, we have to actually do things that sometimes at least part of us doesn't want to do. We have to be, you know, it's a scary word for some of us, but, you know, we have to be disciplined. We don't like that word sometimes because it's like, ah, it just sounds so, you know, we want to just enjoy everything. But listen, anything good, whether, uh, you know, I'm looking at Kevin back there, musician. I'm looking at, you know, Matt was somewhere here, you know, uh, he's a writer. I mean, Chris is starting his own business. I mean, we can look around the room and look at different people and think that these are people that have a a vision for something in their life. You know, like Kevin, I want to, I want to be good at music. Well, okay, yeah, I'm sure he enjoys music and Matt enjoys writing and, and, and so on and so forth. But there are definitely times when you have to just power through. There are times when you have to discipline yourself. There are times you have to push yourself because the body wants to rule us. And guess what? The body wants to do nothing. The body doesn't want to exercise. The body doesn't want to get up in the morning. The body just wants to eat and eat and eat. The body just wants to whatever, watch TV or something. It just wants to do the opposite. And any Vision requires diligence and work and follow through and grit in Christ. Can somebody say amen? All right, let's look at another verse in chapter 15, verse 19. It says, The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. What is this saying here? It's saying that the path, you know, the, or the way of a sluggard. The way just means lifestyle. Like the, the life of somebody who is lazy is like a hedge of thorns, a wall of thorn bushes. I did some landscaping this week in my house and uh, definitely got, if you get close to me, you'll see poison ivy and all kinds of scrapes and scratches. I'm not wearing shorts today because my legs look like I was in a war, you know, uh, but, you know, all these like prickers and, and, and it was like just, can you imagine a wall of that kind of thing and trying to get through it? That That's what the scripture is saying. It's being a little bit Dramatic, or I guess funny about it, but imagine trying to move through a thick wall of that kind of brush. You can't, it's difficult, right? You can't do it easily. It's, it, you get, you're gonna get cut, you're gonna get hurt, it's gonna be almost impossible to get through. That's what laziness does. Like we're trying to get someplace, but if we're slothful, 
we just can't get through. But if we have discipline and diligence and a strong work ethic in Christ, then you know what it's like? It's like those flat, open roads, like in Arizona, for example. Just where the sky in you know, 360 degrees, you just look around, just big and open and flat and just smooth. There's something about hard work, having that work ethic in you that enables life to be smooth. That doesn't mean you're not going to suffer or face obstacles. That's another sermon again. But it just means you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see the end and you're just going to be moving forward. I think one of the th- toughest things to uh, harness in life is momentum. And you hear me talk about that once in a while, right? That Because the body gravitates toward sloth. And man, you can have a couple good days or a few good, a good week and we're getting some traction, right? And then all of a sudden the body's like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to get up early. I don't, we're going to take, we're taking this week off. We're not going to push this week. We're going to, we need rest, you know, we need to relax. We're, we're pushing our, I'm getting burnt out, you know, <laughs> and we tell ourselves. And then that, maybe that's another sermon too. We, you know, some people work too much and they don't know how to rest and they, they don't sleep enough. Uh, honestly, that's not most people. Um, most people, you know, gravitate toward too much sleep, excess sleep, excess rest, excess TV, excess anything that pampers the body. Can, I, can somebody say amen? Yeah. All right, let's look at, look at the next one. Um, chapter 16, verse 26 says this, a worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. I think it, it's, you know, I think that the point here is that kind of going back to that, the ant, there's got to be this internal drive that moves us. And here it's saying that it's, it's the appetite. I mean, it could be taken literally, um, too, that I think a lot of people in the world work very hard because they're trying to feed their families. And they, they don't want to, they want to eat. You know, Paul said that in the New Testament. If you don't work, you don't eat. You know, there, there is something to that if you... If you're going to starve to death or your family's going to starve to death, that is probably going to motivate you. So that's kind of taking it literal. But I think there's also this deeper idea of the appetite. What is appetite? It's desire. It's what we want. Well, that's the question to ponder. What do you want and how bad do you want it? Now again, we can want all kinds of things. I want to. I want to eat pizza today. I want to. I want to go for a bike ride. I want to. You know. I want to travel. I want to. I want to buy this. I want to buy that. We. You know. We have all kinds, hundreds of different desires and wants and appetites, right? And these, many of them aren't bad. But what is the supreme thing that you want in life? Is it God? 
Is it Christ? Is it a relationship with Christ? Is it to do the will of the Father? And I think that, you know, there's kind of a secret because, you know, sometimes we think that, uh, oh, the people who are real uh, passionate in the kingdom of God, you know, this is how they were made. That's how they were created. And then other people who aren't so passionate, you know, think, well, that's just, that are just kind of more mellow people. Now, that's not, it's not about personality. Yes, there's some personality that can come into play and, but it's really not a personality thing. It's an appetite thing. And so if you want to be passionate and hardworking and diligent for the Lord, tend to your appetites. On one level, make sure that your appetites are ordered, that you really are hungering and thirsting for God first and other things after that, like way after that. Like you got to constantly put the Lord first in your life, constantly. It is amazing how other idols, other things just start to creep in and just start to gain our affection. I mean, it, it takes me about three days to take my primary appetite away from God onto something else. That's all it takes. So you got to constantly put yourself back in order. Love God first with heart, mind, soul, and strength. Cultivate that appetite for God. Think about God. Meditate on God. Reflect on God. Remind yourself of who God is. All of that, that reflection and remembering Making much of God puts appetite in you. I mean, that's why you're here this morning, to remember who God is, to hopefully stir your appetites, you know, by way of remembrance. So important. But tend to your appetites. They will be that secret kind of inner motivation that drives you. All right, let's look at a few more. Chapter 18, verse 9. Let's see what this one says. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Now, that, that just sounds like, I don't know, like when Solomon wrote that, and he, you know, if I was his friend and he shared the proverb with me, I might be like, okay, that's a little... Brother to him who destroys? Because we kind of think of laziness as sort of the least of all the sins, right? Maybe with gluttony. Because especially on TV, if you watch any kind of TV at all, it's very light. There's always the character that like eats too much and sleeps too much and just sits around. It's kind of funny. You know, it's sort of a funny thing because he just eats everything and, you know, doesn't want to do any work and stuff. And it's, it's kind of a light and funny thing. But scripture doesn't really frame it like that at all. And this verse really brings that out. So what does that mean? Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. It's kind of like it's on par with him who destroys things. Destroys things. Do we think laziness is destructive? It actually is. Laziness will destroy a family. 
Laziness will destroy a business. It will destroy a society if enough people are given to sloth. It will destroy a church. It will certainly destroy our financial well-being. It can destroy all kinds of things. It can certainly destroy our prayer life and our relationship with God. It can even destroy friendships, right? Because we don't have the diligence to tend to our relationships. Um, All of these things that we've been entrusted to steward well require a certain measure of work. Amen? All right. Let's look at... Chapter 19, verse 15. It says, Slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Idle means like, an idle person is somebody who could work, but they don't want to work. Like a lot of people right now who are getting help from the government, COVID relief money and all that, and everybody is hiring. Like everybody. This is the time to get a job because they're like begging for people to work. And they're paying a lot of money in some places. Even like McDonald's. I forgot what, the, it was like, I feel like it was $20 an hour. Don't quote me on that, but it's like, oh my gosh, to flip hamburgers, $20 an hour? Maybe I'll do that on the side. That's good money. But idleness is like this stubborn, lazy refusal to work. So this is saying slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, an idle person will suffer hunger. I mean, it goes in line with what Paul was saying in the New Testament about if you don't work, you're not going to eat. It's just, you shouldn't expect that you can just be idle and all of your needs will be taken care of. Of course, that's very American, isn't it? It's like you can do nothing. And I, I'm not being, okay, I, I'm a little cynical. I'll be, I'll be honest, okay? So we have thousands upon thousands of people who don't work. Many of them are homeless, right? And some of them absolutely cannot work because they have certain kinds of disabilities. And I have deep empathy for them because it may be trauma or PTSD or whatever they've gone through and or physical struggles and they cannot work. I would say, and you can quote me on this, that the majority of them can work but don't want to. They just don't want to because it's easier to get money from the state And just sit around and do nothing. And that's what many of them do. Or panhandle and just milk off the system. Which makes me actually, it's the opposite. I'm not empathetic toward that. In fact, I'm angry about that because that is taking away money from the people who really need it. And it's making it harder for people who are maybe genuinely out there at the end of their rope trying to panhandle, 
But then you have a whole society who's like so jaded toward panhandlers because the majority of them are just taking their money at the end of their little shift and just going and buying crack. That's frustrating to me and hopefully to you, and I know it's frustrating to God. But it all comes back to idleness. The idleness of especially men in society have a direct negative bearing on the poorest of the poor who actually really do need help. Would it be too dramatic to say they're actually destroying the ability for the poorest of the poor who really do need help to get the help that they need? I would argue, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a longer conversation for another day, which wasn't in my notes at all. I wasn't thinking of saying that, but it, there it is. You can talk about it at lunch, I guess. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 20, a few more. Uh, verse 4, the slugger does not plow in the autumn, and he will... The slugger does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. This is uh, having no long-term vision. This is all about just the here and now. What do I want to do now? What feels good right now? What, do I feel like working right now? Do I feel like not working? It's all about just the present moment where wisdom has some delayed gratification, right? Wisdom makes the difficult decision now, I mean, anybody, most of us have worked, right? I mean, how many days do you not want to get up and work? Are you kidding me? I've had to work landscaping jobs. I installed lawn sprinklers. I've worked in factories before. Well, I worked in a, in a donut shop. It's ridiculous. Do people need donuts at five in the morning? It's like, seriously, I had to get up like when it's still dark, drive from Providence to Swansea, Literally, like, time to make the donut. I wasn't making the donuts, but I had to like be there to give people their coffee at five in the morning, lined up. It's like crazy. Like I did not want to get up for my little minimum wage job or whatever I was getting, but you do it because you want to feed your family, and because you know, like this decision is one small piece of a much bigger puzzle. All right, enough on that one. (laughs) Verse uh, 22, verse 13. The sluggard says, all right, this this gets a little funny. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) I mean, it's funny, right? It's like, hey, you know, Here's the knock on the door. Hey, my uncle has, you know, a field and he needs people to, to work the field today. It's like 20 bucks an hour. You want to you wanna come with? You know, I'm not leaving for about an hour, so just, you know, get ready and stuff. Do you want to come? Oh, no. No. I've, I, last night, I, I know I saw a lion out the window. I was looking out the window and I saw a lion pass by. I'm like, there's no way I'm going out there. And so, you know what this, this dips into is the creative lying that people do 
to avoid working. Can I get an amen? Amen. I mean, this is like an extreme, ridiculous example, but you could probably fill in the blanks with all kinds of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know, my ankle is like, yeah, if I, and if I, you know, twist it again, I mean, I could be out for years. I just can't do, I mean, there, again, I shouldn't go there, but, you know, people that are on state assistance, Okay, God knows if they should be or they shouldn't be. I absolutely believe and I'm thankful that some people are, that our government is able to help and sustain people who can't work either physically or mentally or any other way. But I am telling you, there is some serious creative fabrications of all kinds of mental or physical things that people will make up so that they can basically get a check and just loaf around and do whatever they want and binge drink the first, you know, three days of the month and so on and so forth. Pastor Scott, you're very cynical. But... It's the truth. Again, I'm deeply empathetic, but I'm also angry. And I think Jesus would feel the same way at that. I don't like when people take advantage of the system. I don't like when people uh, refuse to work. And who's paying their bills? You are. If you're working, you're paying for their bills. That's frustrating. Right? Do we have the right to be frustrated? Again, I have, I with joy want part of my money to go toward the poorest of the poor or toward people who can't because of physical or mental um, issues are unable to work. I happily support that. But I think it's okay to be a little annoyed that people are taking my money, your money, to pay for their junk food and, well, not even paying for their housing, paying for their beer and drugs because they don't want to be responsible and work. Of course, Christians would never do that. All right. Last couple verses. Um, Chapter 24, verse 30 says, as I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber. He's kind of saying this again, like we said in the beginning. A little folding of the hands to rest in poverty will come upon you like a bandit or like a robber. The point I want to bring here is that, again, back to Genesis 2, you know, the Lord, God put man in the garden to work it and to keep it. And God has given all of us bodies 
He's given some of us houses or apartments. Uh, He's given us businesses. He's given us families. Um, He's given us a church. This This isn't my church. Don't ever say that to me, that this is my church. This is not my church. This is God's church. And if anything, you know, it's God's church and it's our church together. And we're called together to take care of it. But God has entrusted us to take care of things in our lives. And this verse, you know, shows, again, it's, it's a practical thing. It's, it's a person's house. But through negligence, through just laziness, through a series of hundreds, maybe thousands of little decisions over time, there's complete disarray and disorganization in the home. Things are neglected. There, I think there's another verse that says the, the roof is sagging. There's all kinds of things that are broken. Now, I make jokes about, oh, man, you know, I have a list of things that need to be fixed at the house. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of joking. It takes an incredible amount of hard work to own a house and to keep up with it. Um, it just, it takes time, it takes energy, and it takes some money, too. And that's not, that's not this unspiritual thing. That's actually part of being a mature person of character. And that's why, so much I'm going off the cuff here, but listen, women who are looking to get married, I won't have you raise your hand, but you need to be looking for men who know how to work. They know how to take care of a family. Uh, Nobody wants to be married to somebody who is lazy or slothful. I'm not going to have the women say amen, but... I know you're screaming it inside. <laughs> because it's, it's a, it's a, it, I've seen it. It puts way too much on, on the wife. It puts way too much of a burden. There should be, obviously, the women should also be working. And Proverbs 31 talks a lot about that. But it's, nobody wants to be married to a lazy person just in general. Right? Because it's, it ends up putting an enormous load on the other person. Um, but those are things that, you know, I think sometimes when we're, when we're looking to get married, we're thinking about, oh, you know, uh, oh, he's so handsome, or he's so talented, or he's so uh, charismatic, or he's so whatever, you know, he's interesting personality, he's fun to be with, he's funny. Like, all those things are fine and good, but... There's deeper things. Is is the person reliable? Is he a person of integrity? Is he somebody who has some grit and is going to work hard for the family? What is his commitment level in not just in the relationship, but just in life in general? Is this somebody who has tenacity and will stand with me and with the family for decades. Sometimes we forget to ask those questions when we're thinking about who to marry. 
Well, I won't get into it uh, too much, but you can read through yourself. Uh, Proverbs 31, starting at verse 10. I love this because it, it just talks about, it kind of gives us this portrait of a woman. And I think it gets a bad rap, to be honest. I think sometimes, you know, I think sometimes women, wives get, oh, you know, Proverbs 31, okay, like this, who can be like that? That's ridiculous. You know, we got to be this perfect wife or whatever. I, I don't, I think that's kind of to miss the point. Um, I mean, this was really revolutionary, this vision of this woman of God. I mean, you think about this was written thousands of years ago in a culture where men were the dominant thing and uh, women were just, well, I don't know, okay, just stay at home and do, do nothing, you know, just make babies. But this is revolutionary, this vision of a woman. There's so much industry here. She's like running businesses. She's doing work on the side. Uh, she's known. She's not just hiding out in the house, having babies. She's, she's known in the community. She's helping the poor. You can read it for yourself. I'm not going to read it because these contact lenses are terrible. They, the, the double progressive lens, I cannot. It's like so blurry. I need Bible with bigger print. Um, but if I, if I get close enough, I can... I'll read a few. She seeks wool and flax. She works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it and on and on and on. This is a cool woman. She's an entrepreneur. She's doing stuff. She's got industry She's got diligence, and she's known for it. Um, so probably give a little message to the men there, too. What kind of girl are you looking to marry? Man, I'm telling you, we put so much weight on how, what people look like, how pretty they are, how attracted we are physically to, now hopefully you're attracted to the person you're going to marry. I'm not saying that you know, there's a place for that, of course, but listen, bodies change, things start sagging. I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, we, we don't, I don't look the way I looked when I was 20, you know? I mean, my wife is still absolutely stunningly beautiful. I, somehow she's gotten more beautiful. But I'm just saying, we, we do, we get old, we, p- people change. It's, the thing that's important is that you marry somebody who has wisdom. Somebody who is going to put Jesus first in their life. They're going to have integrity. They're going to walk with God. And they're going to work hard at living out the principles of this book. I'm not just talking about making money. That's part of it. But they're going to work hard at relationships. They're going to work hard to love the in-laws. They're going to work hard at raising the children. They're going to work hard in every aspect of life, building the church. That's who you want to marry, somebody with that kind of character. Amen.
I guess that's about it. I don't want to go too long, but we could talk about this stuff all day. It's so important. Uh, thank God for his grace. If you think, well, I'm just a lazy person and that's who I am and that's just, like, don't accept that. Don't say stupid things about yourself. You know, that's, don't let anyone, well, my mother always said I was just a slug. So, okay, I'm just taking it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to own that identity. No, don't, don't own that identity. You have everything required to become a person who is hardworking, passionate, and diligent. There's no excuse for any of us because Jesus died to give us this gift, right? This gift of salvation and the grace of God. And we have all that we need for life and godliness. That's the good news. And if you feel like, oh, I don't know, I'm just not a motivated person, fine, tell Jesus about it. He'll, he has the motivation. He has the passion. He has the diligence. Get it from him. The secret is another sermon altogether. Abide in Christ. But have a vision for your life. If you set the bar so low, if you accept laziness and sloth for your life, you'll never rise above it. Because that's what you're, that's basically where you're, well, I'm just going to be a slug. If you say, I need to be diligent for Jesus. I need to keep my spiritual fervor in God. If you set that standard high and then just beg God for his abundant grace to enable you to live it out, he'll do it. I promise you, he will do it through you. Be encouraged by that. All right, love you guys. Be diligent this week. Uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we ask for your help because we just confess that our bodies just want to be lazy. You even told us the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. And so, Lord, help us to, like Paul said in, in Romans 9, to, you know, to discipline our bodies, to, to make our bodies do what sometimes they don't want to do. Lord, we need your grace to be able to do that. We pray that we would be like the ant and that you would impart within us just a constant value that doing the will of God, suffering for the will of God is of much, much greater value than indulging in bodily impulses. Lord God, make us a church filled with people who are passionate in all the most important aspects of our life. Most of all, passionate to know you. Lord, put that within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for listening so well today.